This is Talking Hardcore, the podcast for people who love hardcore history. You study history because it allows us to understand the present and prepare for the future. I'm not trolling. And okay. I love it's, it. I'm, I'm just pointing out where they're wrong. The Talking Hardcore podcast is presented by Ace Industrial Solutions. Are you in need of skilled trade professionals for your next project? Look no further. As we said, I'm George. This is Scott. We're here today with uh, Daniele Bolelli. Okay, History on Fire podcast, also a history professor, a martial artist, uh, anything else? Oh, an author. You have nonfiction, and aren't you working on a fiction book as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I am. And, you know, given that how the publishing industry is, it's kind of a difficult gig in the sense that, uh, you know, the people who uh, see you as a fiction author, as a nonfiction author, don't really care to see you as a fiction author and vice versa. So they are completely different people who handle fiction and nonfiction. So it's kind of like starting from scratch, but, you know, we'll see what I can do with it. You know, maybe you should ask talk to the people at um the rest is history like tom holland and and um um dominic sandbrook i know dan's been Mm -hmm. on their podcast a a few times too because tom holland started as a fiction author and then writes he's a historian as well and writes history books and um mr sandbrook also writes um uh kids historical books that are based for kids uh but like he Mm -hmm. did one on the aztecs and stuff he did one that's Aztecs, that's... the fall of the Aztec Empire, <laughs> but for children. <laughs> I was like, how are you going to do that? That's the mystery of life. <laughs> and he doesn't pull his punches because in the podcast episode, he's talking about it. And he's like, yeah, that's in the book. And I'm like, man, wow. my 10-year-olds would be like freaking out having nightmares for this. But like, I think a 10-year-old boy would probably be like, that's hell yeah, cool. this is pretty sweet. Right? Sword Let's... fights, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. But maybe yeah, talking yeah. to them would be a good idea to find people who can help you get people to see you in both lights. Yeah, that's so, a good idea. Anyway, I'll, um, no, can that's you, a good tip. I agree. You know, cool. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. I um I grew up in Italy. I moved to US when I was eighteen to go to college out here. I I wasn't really planning on teaching or anything like that. I kind of stumbled on it on the way. And so I ended up getting uh, my degrees were in American Indian studies and in history. And then I started teaching history classes around. And that's how I started making my living. I also wrote, as you said, four nonfiction books. And then uh, I think when it was, uh, oh yeah, it was because of one of these books that back in 2011, I got invited to a couple of huge podcasts in kind of a way, I mean, the way it worked out was really weird. Like you really should have never worked that way by logic. And there, it was sort of like winning the lottery seven times in a row because due to one of these books, I get this message that say, oh, we booked on a couple of podcasts, um, Adam Carolla and Joe Rogan. And, you know, this is 2011. I don't even know what podcasts are. <laughs> so I'm just like... Sure, cool. Right. I know Rogan is. I know Corolla. I'll, I'll go and chat, whatever, you know. And uh, and I remember going there, and um, when Rogan wasn't there yet, there was this um, the person like uh, Brian Redman, Redman, who was handling the whole thing for Rogan. And and so I asked him, he's like, I mean, I have a vague idea of what we're doing here, but like podcasting, what exactly? And he was like, 
oh, it's just like radio, but you can cuss. And I was like, okay, I think I got it. That um, that makes sense. I can do that. And then, uh, you know, I I didn't know just how big of a medium it was, even back then, which is, of course, a fraction of what it is today. And I spent like the next three days right. after being on Rogan's podcast, just answering people's emails of people who are reaching out and messaging. And I was like, whoa, this thing is huge. I did not know that. And then, uh, you know, over time, over a period of the next few months, other people started inviting me over their podcast and so on. And so I got a lot of people beginning to ask me, why don't you start your own podcast? And, and that was the last thing on my mind, because I'm like, man, I'm already so busy between teaching and trying to write and, uh, you know, raising my dough. I, I had like seven million things on my plate. I was like, there's no way. So at one point, just to get people off my back, I said, yeah, sure. If all I have to do is just produce content and somebody else worries about editing and finding, you know, putting it up on the web and getting it to all the... Sure, if I don't need to learn anything, I can talk. That's not a problem. And I kind of said it as a way to get people off my back. Within five minutes, I had uh, retrievers uh, sending me this message saying, hey, um, I'm a film editor in Culver City. I would help you with editing. Uh, and other friend, Evan, wrote, oh, I can put up the website for you. I was like, damn, I put myself in a corner. Now I have to podcast. And um, <laughs> and so I started out with a podcast that was more like Rogan, more like chatty interviews, that kind of thing. And then after a while, I started thinking, okay, mm -hmm. well, I teach history for a living. I, I'm already podcasting. My favorite podcast is probably Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. I put two and two together and realized, you know what? That would actually be a fun thing to do for all the three zillion history books I've read that are not the stuff that I teach all the time. Let's let's suddenly find use for it. Let's turn it into a podcast, which, of course, I did not quite anticipate how much work a history podcast like the long form that I do is because... You know, I have to read an ungodly yeah. amount of books on a topic before I can release an episode. So when you add up all the reading a ton of books and taking notes and then putting them together in a cohesive manner and now try to make it just not a bunch of facts, but make it interesting and engaging. It's a long process to go from zero to getting an episode out. It's many, 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 many hours of work. But of course, it also became fun and imagine. it became the, the one thing that I ever did that was probably the most successful. So I was like, okay, you know, it's a lot of work, but let's play with it. Right. And that's how you ended up getting to, to meet Dan Carlin. I think I heard you tell that story before where you were on, um, on Joe Rogan when you met him, didn't you? Isn't that how that went? Yeah, that was actually a funny one. It was, um, yeah, I did not have my own part. I didn't have History on Fire yet, but I do remember, I think I invited, uh, I messaged Dan a couple of times and Dan being a gentleman replied and was very sweet and nice about the whole thing. I forget if he had already been like in a remote format as a, as a Zoom guest uh, on my other podcast or not, or if this was soon thereafter. But yeah, I'm hanging out at home and I get this uh, text from Rogan saying, 
hey, you want to hop on a podcast in two hours with Dan Carlin? And I'm like, sure. So I kind of dropped whatever I was doing, <laughs> drove out, um, met with Dan. And, you know, and right. so I knew that that episode was uh, really was an episode that was supposed to just be Joe and Dan. So when I went, I was like, trying to really keep a low profile and let uh, the two of them get most of the talking. I was just happy to get to meet them and just uh, hop in, but I didn't want to, sure. you know, too forcefully interject myself into center stage. And then was just as nice in person as, um, as are my interactions with him previously. And Dan is really just one of those fantastic, sweet, good human beings who refreshing to run into because he's just such a good person. He's just amazing. And I mean, even think about it, like what I do with History on Fire, if he wanted to, he could see that as competition. He could see that as something that I'm stepping right. on his turf. And instead, he has been nothing but supportive. You know, he has been, he had me on his hardcore history at Dendum a couple of times. He, he, you know. And that's where I found you. Me. That's where I started yeah. listening to your podcast. Right, exactly. No, that, that Dan yeah. is a, just an absolute gem of a human being. Mm -hmm. Like in terms of, uh, he's really one of my favorite people. He's just such a good person. Not only he's a master storyteller, but he's just uh if at all possible, because he's so good at storytelling, he's even better just as a person. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, we 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 interacted him with him, and when we interviewed him, and yeah, it's the same thing. Like, he has no reason to to be generous with his time with us, but he just is. That's you could just get, you could just tell. Yeah. And yeah. and it's like yeah. it's like you coming on here podcasting. That's what's great. It's it could be competitive, but it doesn't need to be. There's. It, People who like history content are not going to not listen to yours because they not listen to dance because they found yours. Yeah. Right. right. They just right. listen to both. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. Right. When you have when you have when you have an audience. Right. It's not like you have to be generic like it used to be mm -hmm. before podcasting. Right. You couldn't have a history show like this where you had to appeal to a huge audience because you didn't have a market to find that big audience. Now. People can find you, right? And so mm -hmm. they, you can find your niche and you can, and they can find you, which yeah. is really just the coolest thing about the internet. Okay. Yeah. So I that's the background uh, to, to how you started doing podcasts. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, yeah, so now we've see, got I some fun some... questions we thought would be. We getting a delay so we'll again? Do, I guess because we have a four second delay in the audio, we'll do like gestures where I'll jump in and I'll let you know that I'm about to. Get, <laughs> that way we'll. Uh, yeah, otherwise, are totally like off sync on the on the audio. But uh, I guess yeah, what I was saying on the podcast yeah, thing was like yeah, I saw some statistics that there are some three and a half million podcasts out there in the world. But the funny thing is that mm -hmm. overwhelming majority, something like two and a half million of these podcasts literally have their mom listening or something. It's just like they have five people listening. Mm -hmm. So like for a podcast to even, right. uh, if you have any kind of an audience, if you just have like friends and family you are already in, <laughs> in the top third right there. And it's, it's interesting how much <laughs> the medium has, well, uh, has spread. Right. Well, we saw I saw your your tweet in your Facebook post 
yesterday. Congratulations, by the way. Top 0.05% of all podcasts, History on Fire is. That's awesome. Right? Isn't that what you yeah. said? It was, it was, yeah. it was re- really high up there. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Yeah, it was even, it shows the I hard think work. it was like, uh, I got lost with the zeros, but yeah, I think it was 0.05, something ridiculous. Basically, you know, out of three and a half million podcasts, yeah. he was in the top thousand or something, which is like, okay, you know, that's cool. It's reaching yeah. people. It's nice. And, because that's the funny thing about podcasting sometimes is that you don't see your audience. So, you, I mean, sometimes you see numbers, which may or may not be accurate, but you really sometimes don't know mm-hmm. who you are reaching, how, how much of an impact it is or is not having. So it's uh, it's always cool sometimes when you get right. emails or something. You're like, oh, people actually listen. People actually think about it. This is, this is cool. Yeah, you get feedback. You don't get enough feedback otherwise. I, I can see how that could happen. One thing I love about your podcast is one, your the music that you have for your intro. <laughs> it sounds like an old west movie. Is that is that is that from an old west movie? I thought it was. I'm like, it, it, it's sweet. It's like listening. I, I expect I expect Clint Eastwood to walk out and shoot somebody when I'm listening to your <laughs> podcast. It's so cool. And then I love the, the, uh, the sound effects of the history on fire. Let's, let's set history. Can you give me one? Just say it with your accent. And say, let's go set history on fire. Can let's you say go that for set me? history on I like fire. It sounds. See, it sounds sweet with his accent. <laughs> if I have said that with no accent, well, I guess I have an accent, but I don't think I have an accent. If I have said it with my no accent, it wouldn't have sounded as cool. Yeah. But all right. The... That's great. That is very interesting stuff. Thanks for giving us that that rundown of your background. And I agree with you about podcasting. It's cool. But now Scott had a fun question that we wanted to run past you. <laughs> Go ahead, Scott. So, um, you know, I, I listened to your uh, two-part podcast about uh, Miyamoto Musashi. I uh, I think so did George as yeah. well, and that's that's where we heard the the whole parading in front of Dan's uh, Dan's house. <laughs> yeah, which I'm still encouraging you to do, hundred percent. If you don't know, in the podcast, go check it out. Uh, History on Fire, episode one hundred two. Uh, the the samurai in question was basically walking around telling everybody he was the number one best samurai in the world, and and uh, Daniele said that would be like if he went in front of. Dan Carlin's house with a poster that says number one history podcaster and just started parading around in front of him. And I immediately said, that's what he should do. I'll, I'll fly out there and film it for you. I think that's a great idea. Have a podcast duel. Yeah. That's even better. Oh, I, just there, have a history duel. This only gets funner, right? <laughs> you start making viral content like that. That would be cool. Like he's talking shit to Dan and then Dan's talking shit back. And then we could have a fake feud. And that'll drive up everybody's listeners. <laughs> I don't think you need to do that. I, no, you uh, don't need to. And, and, <laughs> but it'd be funny. It would troll everybody. So, so uh, anyway, listening to that podcast, the one thing that... Um, the, the, okay, so I have one question from that podcast. Hold on, I'll get to that one, George. Okay. Um, the, the one question I had was, do you know why, during Miyamoto Musashi's time, um, people, the... the Samurai were getting away from armor, and then that's why Musashi used two swords. I mean, can you yeah. explain that? Yeah, sure. Basically, it was a time when there were no more battles. The Japan, after a period of a long period of civil war, Japan got unified under the Tokugawa family. So all these uh, fighting that took place for centuries, where 
the primary thing as you go into the battlefields in full armor, fighting against a whole bunch of other people, that was no longer the case because Japan was sort of forcibly pacified under the rule of the Tokugawa. As a result, nobody's going around in armor because you're not fighting actual battles anymore. The majority of uh, the fighting that would take place would take place as a street fight, not as a battle. And so as a street fight, again, nobody's parading through the streets of their town in full armor. They are going to be with no armor and just their side sword or something, which, by the way, wouldn't even be the prime. You know, we all love swords. They are cool. They look amazing. But they were really not the prime weapon for the samurai before that. Primarily, these guys were um, bow and arrows for to shoot from a distance. They were spear, were playing a huge role. And then even at that time, his uh, guns started coming into the picture as an element of warfare. Some of the first uh, guns that the Portuguese brought over. So the sword was like, everything else has gone wrong and you're down to your sword kind of thing. But of course, that's when real warfare was happening. Now that it was no real warfare, it was more duels and street fighting, that's when the swords became a much bigger deal and, uh, and no armor. Gotcha. Okay. And that was fascinating. Now, but since you bring up the spear, um, I had to ask, or, or one, one picture came into my mind is, you know, who would win? You know, if you had, I don't know, let's say, a hundred hoplites, a hundred Greek hoplites against a hundred, you know, fully armored samurai. Like, what what would that look like, and who do you think would? Uh... Or one hoplite versus one samurai. Th- that'll work too. Like both. I'm curious there because they never really fought. Uh, so, I guess depending on the samurai, what what's their deal? You know, is a samurai in armor with a spear? Okay, then similar to a hoplite. Then it becomes an who's more skilled. Are we talking about a samurai who's running around on horseback and the hoplite is chasing him in the sun and the samurai just laughs and makes fun of him and once in a while shoot an arrow at him? That's, of <laughs> course, is a different outcome. If it's a samurai with right. no armor and a sword, he's probably screwed. He would lose. You know, so I think it would depend on uh, what the spear, the spear would be better uh, than the sword? Definitely, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's well, interesting. I guess I guess in my mind I was picturing, you know, 50 foot soldiers from both sides. You know, so you had 50 hoplites square off with 50 samurai with their swords, no no bows and arrows at this point. It's either spears and swords or or however they're just, they're yeah, just going at. Kind of comes down to just tactics and and you know, who's the better trained? But high ground but and see, things hoplites, like that. Hoplites weren't that well trained. Right. I mean they drilled. They weren't samurai. That's for done. sure. Yeah. Huh. And even uh, that's interesting. Anyway, even the samurai army were tricky because sometimes you know you had the super well trained guys, and then you had a bunch of like the foot soldiers, which were more or less peasants recruited from a campaign, and they give you a spear and put some armor and say put the pointy end into the other guy, and they are not necessarily super well trained. <laughs> so there was uh, there was a right. bit of a gray right. zone between the between the social classes you know whereas later it become more rigidly separate during times of war you get who you can get on mm. a battlefield so there was more room for social <laughs> right. mobility there was more room for somebody who was not born a samurai to become a big deal and and so on and so forth sure 
One of the things that I, I like about your podcast that compared to other history podcasts that kind of sets it aside, sets it, makes it different, is you seem to focus more of your episodes on individuals instead mm-hmm. of like big sweeping historical things. And I thought that was fun. And so a lot of them tend to be individuals that also happen to be warriors and things like that. So I wanted to know who is your favorite historical warrior? Um, let's see, probably, I think the story of Crazy Horse is just larger than life and really badass, even because it happened late in history. You know, when you go back a thousand years, it's such a different world that is sometimes hard to relate in the same way. Crazy Horse died in mm-hmm. 1877. It's not, you know, it's really not that long right. ago. So... The story sure. of this guy who grew up in this culture that was, uh, you know, he grew up fully within a nomadic horseman, Lakota culture in the U.S. in the latter part of the 1800s, a culture that clearly was wow. about to disappear in the face of the onslaught of the United States really quickly. And, you know, everything about Crazy Horse right. Life is very much, it uh, reads like, a fantastic Shakespearean tragedy. You know, it's uh, it's both beautiful and heartbreaking. The guy had tremendous courage and toughness, but also keeps seeing all the people he cares about dying next to him. It's it's a really incredible story. And in fact, that's like the first long series that I've done where um, that one actually, I originally thought I'll do one episode of Crazy Horse. Then I'm like, okay, I know a little too much on this. It's going to be two episodes. Make it three. Okay, four. Fine. Right. And, you know, it became this four-part series <laughs> where I go on for eight hours by the end of it because there is that much to say about the guy's life, his times. It's, yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's not eight hours with too much that time. There's plenty of stuff that happened in his life that's highly dramatic. Right. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And that actually ties into something. We're doing a, a book club live discord book club on um and dan actually recommended this in the podcast we did with him on the book called indie inda inda i don't know how you say it by eve ball that's about um yeah. uh yeah. ace yeah. deglocky and the apaches right and so mm-hmm. we're actually doing a live event where we're going to discuss that on the discord channel if you're bored and you want to come in if you, i'm sure you've probably read that book it would be cool if you wanted to come on there but um i'll send you a link but uh it's it's going to be I mean, I've, I'm I'm just partway into it, and it's already fascinating. That 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 area or that era, the end of the Native Americans, uh, as their wars with America, which is just it's tragic. It, it's 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 crazy because it's like a Greek epic, but a hundred mm-hmm. years ago, like they weren't even that far from electricity you know, when this stuff was ending. Mm-hmm. You know, like just absolutely crazy, and I I, I find that. And it's funny because when I wrote that question about your favorite warrior, it never occurred to me you pick a Native American. I was thinking, you know, a samurai or a knight. But what a great one. Mm-hmm. What a great yeah. crazy horse is a great one. All right. And so this might be the same answer. Then I was going to ask you, who's your favorite historical figure? Right. And that might be so the for, same answer. Um, it's not. So for that, I go a different route. Oh, and cool. I think because you. Awesome. You put the finger on the fact that so many stories that we end up covering in history are things that have to do with fighting and wars and this and that. And after a while, it gets a little 
It's like, come on, can I get into the story of somebody who does is not primarily renowned for murdering people? Can we do something else for a change? You know, and it's like, because sometimes so much of the history books focus on what's essentially the history of warfare that is refreshing when we end mm-hmm. up looking at something different. And so I did this two-part series. I sure. think it was episode, I want to say 45, 46, or right around there. I did this two-part series on this uh, Zen monk from the 1400s named EQ. And EQ has the wildest, you know, he's just a... Okay, let me see how can I sum up EQ quickly. But EQ's story is just, he really is my favorite historical character because he grows up in very tough environment. He was the legitimate son of the emperor of Japan. His father did not acknowledge him for the longest time. His mom uh, had to put him in a monastery to let him be raised by monks. So, you know, he grows up in a fairly severe environment. He... He grows up at a time too, like during his lifetime is when the major period of the civil war that will finish with the Tokugawa and Musashi begins in the 1400s. He sees Kyoto burned to the ground, 100,000 people starving because of warfare. So the context is brutal. However, EQ find a way to right. have an absolute blast in life. He's an hilariously funny guy. <laughs> He's brilliant in his understanding of Zen. And precisely because he loves Zen, he hates the Zen establishment. He thinks that the Zen establishment is mainly pandering to the wealthy for money and donation, but completely lost to what Zen was supposed to be about. He's just... He's really a comedian. Like Some of his things are so incredibly funny and... You know, he has this rebel streak that's hilarious to contemplate. His main priorities in life, in no particular order, beside the Zen, are women and drinking. Those are some of the things that he seemed to be enjoying the most. And uh, that's funny because you wouldn't <laughs> think that would go along with Zen or being a monk, right? Well, you wouldn't think, think that's that, but that's interesting. I'm going to listen to that episode. And that's uh, that's his thing, right? He argues, look, what Zen is about is about presence and a certain degree of consciousness that you carry in everyday life. It's not about putting on a show of being uh, sacred and holy when really you end up doing a bunch of stuff behind the, the back, behind like what you're not supposed to. It's like just embrace who you really are. Just so his attitude is if uh, the so called profane things, if lived with a certain attitude, can be there's no separation between the sacred and the profane. And, uh, and of course, in the process mm-hmm. of making an actual serious theological point, he does so in a way that's absolutely hilarious. And uh, so it's uh, awesome. in a way, it's like a high comedic talent set in Japan in the 1400s in the middle of all this drama going on. And the funny thing about EQ is that beside I'm managing I'm gonna to listen have, to that. Yeah, no, he's great. And and you know, beside managing to have a great yeah. life, he also manages to uh, as a huge impact on the culture of Japan because so many of the people who followed him then became uh, masters of tea ceremony, theater, painting, and they were some of the key artistic figures that revolutionized Japanese cultural life. So it's like doesn't get any better than that. The mm. guy manages to have an amazing life and have a big impact on history and people. Everybody loves him. He's uh, hilariously funny. 
really doesn't get much better. Oh, that than sounds that. good. I okay. So you said that episode's like in the forties of your series. Yeah. So you did that a few years ago. I'm gonna go find those and I'm gonna listen to that today. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. That reminds me though. I, I believe you you talk about this on your podcast. You're doing a trip to Japan this summer with yeah. uh with a group of people. Like they can sign up to go and tour Japan with you. Yep. When I heard that, I'm like, yep. what a good idea. Like, <laughs> I mean, that is such a neat idea that people could do that. That that that's cool. So that you're going in June, or is that when it is, or sometime in the summer? End of April, actually. It's gonna be end of April and early May. Oh, cool. So that's coming up actually kind of soon. But uh yeah, I'm excited. I've never been to Japan, yeah. so it's always gonna be my first time. I get to discover it along with people and uh it's going to be fun. I look forward to that. That is such a cool idea. That sounds awesome. I know. I one, mean, one place I haven't made it to yet. No, Japan would be cool. That's on the list of places that I would love to go. Right. Okay. So I was watching your YouTube channel the other day, and you had an interesting one that was five um, dinners, uh, or, or uh, was it five dangerous dinners? Um in 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 some of the 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 pretty famous ones um but it made me think of a question to ask you then based on that so the, do you have a, a a favorite or a weird historical event that you don't think people really know about much that is interesting that you would want to talk about right now like a like like when the mongols ate dinner on top of the the nobles that's a pretty that's a pretty great one. Um, but the, do you have anything else like that 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 you find interesting that you'd want to talk about? You know, normally I like, uh, as you said, I like the specific stories, uh, the story of that one guy, that one event. I like to go very specific because it's easier to relate to. But the answer that comes up now when mm-hmm. you ask this question is uh, sort of a bigger story. That's uh, it's the story that I cover. I covered it a while back, but it was a behind the paywall. I just released those episodes. I just finished that series recently, The Taiping Rebellion, because it's one of those unknown aspects of history, particularly outside of China. Because, you know, if you ask people what's the deadliest conflict in history, people will probably know it was World War II. But if you start asking for the second one, it's like, uh, I don't know, maybe World War One, maybe... And so to find out what happened in China in the mid-1800s as a result of this rebellion, which in itself is a big deal, because, you know, some 20 million people were killed during this massive, massive historical event. But the thing that's most interesting to me is how it all starts with one guy losing his mind. You know, you have this one guy who's taking the imperial exams in China, which are kind of your entry level to get any kind of high-end government job. And the failure rate is 99%, right? So they are super stressful things where very few people squeeze through. And so this old village put their resources into this one promising boy, and he studies, 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 goes to take the imperial exam, fails. Next year, same story. Then he does it a third time. When he's about to take it the third time, somebody, some Christian missionary, hands him a pamphlet about uh, Jesus and the Bible, this and that. The guy doesn't think much about it, goes to do the third exam, fails again, has a complete nervous breakdown. He starts hallucinating and being delirious for like weeks at a time because he really lost his mind due to the stress and of the whole thing. 
by the time he comes out of it, he's like, he starts putting together elements from the Christian pamphlets he read with his weird nervous breakdown. And he starts out, oh, you know what? I didn't have a nervous breakdown. I'm actually Jesus' younger brother. Uh, God is my father. And my older brother and my father task me with the job of cleansing China from all the demons, which means I have to overthrow the Manchu dynasty. And, uh, and you know, when you hear it like that, it's like crazy guy screaming on the corner kind of thing. Except the weird part is that uh -huh. through a series of random events, he starts amassing a humongous army of followers around him. And, you know, by the time he has a million people wow. with him, he's a huge force that just uh, will start the civil war in China that continues for well over a decade. It's like, you know, I have the story of um, like Jim Jones, the, the guy who led the cult in uh, when the all the people yeah. died in Guyana and the famous. Imagine Jim Jones with an army of a million people. That's the Taiping Rebellion oh, in short. Well, yeah. now I've got another series to listen to because yeah. I didn't know that at all. I didn't know yeah. that's how that started even a little. That is friggin' crazy. And that's uh, by the well, anyway, I was going to say that the episodes you were looking for initially are 45 and 46. That's the other ones, 45 yeah. and 46. And now, yeah. like you said, the, the typing rebellion, I saw you re-release those and I hadn't got yeah. around to listen to them yet. I was like, I've heard that name. I didn't really know much about it. Now I'm going to have to listen to that because that is amazing history's crazy you can't write this stuff it's so much crazier than fiction well look at lenin lenin had not yeah. the same story but a similar story well he was they killed my brother i'm gonna tear down this whole government and then yep. he freaking did it yeah that's mm -hmm. pretty crazy too yeah history's fascinating yeah. all right scott you got any more questions no i think i'm all set I yeah think i'm good yeah 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 well um Anything else you want to talk about, Mr. Uh, Daniel, <laughs> I was going to call you Mr. Bolelli, oh, but he said we could call him uh, Daniele. So anything else you want to talk about, Daniele? No, I think I'm, I'm good. The, um, I mean, I okay. enjoy... Uh, the thing for me is, like, I never finish... History is so full of great stories that I don't see myself running out anytime mm -hmm. soon. You know, as long as I have an audience, I'll keep uh, researching and cranking out episodes because I run into great stories constantly, even some I didn't know about, even some where I go. I mean, even something like what right. I mentioned, the typing. Even for me, I kind of vaguely knew, you know, the Wikipedia version of the story at best. And then, you know, after mm -hmm. I hear it enough time, I'm like, oh, there is something there. Let me read into it. And then you find out this whole crazy thing. It's like, oh, I, I, now I need to know about it. So let me read whatever book I can get on it and then put it to. So I enjoy doing what I do. Yeah. I'm having fun with it. I'm experimenting with things. So I, as you mentioned earlier, I started recently a YouTube channel where I do kind of the opposite of what I normally do, where I go in these big two-hour stories on the podcast. On YouTube, I do like five, 10, 15-minute videos kind of thing, much shorter, quick, get in and get out, tell a story. I started playing, um, I do a Substack where I get to write essays or sometimes I link the YouTube videos, but you know, I'm trying to find other ways to tell stories, basically. The podcast, I love it. And I like to branch from there to doing more videos and YouTube and more writing and Substack and, you know, things like that. So um, right. overall, I'm having fun with it. Why not, right? That's great. Actually, um, 
shoot, I was just going to say something, and then it popped out of my mind. That is, well, I can't remember what I was going to say. But thank you uh, for, for coming on today. We really appreciate it, Danielli. This was a lot of fun. I'm going to put a link in the description to your Substack, your YouTube channel, and your podcast. People check it out. History on Fire. It's it's great. And apparently you can learn all about a crazy guy who just decides he's Jesus's brother and <laughs> destroys 20 million people. And I didn't even know that happened until just now. until just now. That's OK. Oh, well, I remember what I was going to say, though. So Dan shared this article on his Twitter page that they are using this new technology to read ancient scrolls from Pompeii uh-huh. that were all cooked together. Mm-hmm. So think about that, like history, right? You said you were always finding stories. Well, shit, dude, there might be a ton more new stories that we're about to get to find out because that's not the only place that there's all these old scrolls they couldn't read. And if they can use technology like that, that's awesome. You know? Yeah. How cool would that yeah. be? Until they can take get a machine to like dig up the ash from the uh, Library of Alexandria. That's that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Wouldn't that be cool? Then read all, read everything that <laughs> was in step. there. Well, then we just need the time travel device. Yeah. Could you imagine what was in the Library of Alexandria? Who knows? I want to know. I bet it was porn. No. No, I bet it was porn. You know, people, a lot of that yes. was porn. I'm telling you, that's just you. Look at the internet, right? Anything you want. No. 90% of it, 99% of it is porn. <laughs> I don't. If Library Alexander. Alexandria is the ancient version of the internet. That's what it was. A hundred or ninety-nine percent porn, and then one percent all the other human history. Yeah, no. It's just, just, it's just uh, that's that's humans. There's no way. I bet it was. That just occurred to me right now, and I'm now standing on that. I think that's what it was. On that note, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danielle. Hey, don't hang up. I gotta let it upload. Yeah.